Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football podcast from the Times. Today, Michael Carrick's Manchester United lay the way for Ralph Ratnick's arrival. Why is Graham Potter giving history lessons on Brighton? Should Everton fans lower their expectations? And should the Premier League boss Richard Masters give some concrete answers on Newcastle United? This is the game. Hello again, welcome back. I'm Hugh Wissencroft. I'm alongside Tom Roddy and Alison Rudd for the next hour or so. Thank you for listening in to the game podcast. We're going to start with Manchester United ending their first week without Ole Gunnar Solskjaer positively. After an away win at Villarreal in the Champions League, they then went to Stamford Bridge to earn themselves a one-all draw with the Premier League leaders Chelsea. And there seemed to be a plan from the caretaker manager Michael Carrick. There was a, a well-coordinated press as well. Tom, you were there. What the deuce? That sounded like sarcasm a little bit, Hugh. I just, it's been a long, long time. Yeah, well, not according to Michael Carrick, though. Oh, at really? The, at the end, yeah, he said, um, we've been doing this for three years. Really? Which did come as... Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. Which did come as a little bit of a surprise, really. But it worked, really. The, the aim was to close down the passes into Chelsea's passing from the back. And it worked. Bruno Fernandes as a false nine. Jadon Sancho, who looked so much more confident than he ever did under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And Marcus Rashford had a decent game too. But it's modern day football, isn't it? And something that Man United have had to do. Look at the week they've had. A win away in the Champions League. A draw at Chelsea, which, to be honest, was a good result even when Sir Alex Ferguson was in charge. Should be delighted. <laughs> It was a hilarious match. I don't know how you can be delighted if you're a United fan. And if you are delighted as a United fan, look how far you've fallen. If that pleases you, for goodness sake. You lot, you scored because of a freakish floodlight blindness by Jorginho, bless him, gazing up into the stars, thinking about his Ballon d'Or, and then realised the floodlights were very bright and then he couldn't see the ball. And so that's freaky, isn't it? Um, I like Sancho's confidence. I'm going to score this. I'm not passing, I'm not passing, this is mine. That was good, but that's what? That's three seconds out of 90 plus added time. Not great if you're relying on something freaky like that. And so so what? They pressed a bit. They didn't press very much in the, for most of the second half, actually. It was quite static. And I think people say there's a plan if Ronaldo's put on the bench. They think someone must have thought about it and therefore ascribe poncy words like thoughtfulness and thinking it through and thinking about the greater good. I thought it was slightly hilarious, a freaky game and not one from which we should draw 
too many conclusions. And the added extra bit of humour at the end was Michael Carrick denying it had anything at all to do with the incoming maestro of Ralphness. What do you think it did? Well, everyone but Carrick thinks it did. So either Carrick's fibbing or everyone else is misinformed. Whether he Tom Roddy seems to think it has something to do with yeah 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 absolutely I do whether he directly has spoken to him or not I think that the the influence of Rannick coming in is what Carrick was thinking as he picked that team oh so a subconscious influence yeah. that, that Carrick himself wasn't aware of interesting Tom very interesting yeah I mean look Manchester United fans won't be overjoyed by the fact they had 34% possession they allowed Chelsea to have 24 shots Antonio Rudiger really should have won it Timo Werner probably lost it for Chelsea in the end but you've got to be encouraged by the last week if you're a Manchester United fan it suggests there will be a turnaround the season will not be all lost but from that Watford game it could only go up. I mean, they'd com- entirely given up from that Watford game. At least there were challenge- challenges made at Chelsea and against Villarreal. We can't talk about Man United without talking about the the Ronaldo decision to, to mm. put him on the bench. But I do think that actually also goes back into the fact he had to pick a midfield three to protect a defence without Rafa Varane and without Harry Maguire. Eric Bailly, who Ole Gunnar Solskjaer chose Harry Maguire ahead of uh, 40% fit Harry Maguire ahead of Eric Bailly. And um, Lindelof, who I've I've watched United play uh, at Watford and at at Stamford Bridge, and I don't think I've seen him make a challenge yet. Um, (laughs) I think some Manchester United fans were encouraged by Lindelof's performance. You are out as a Man United supporter, so I'm not, I'm not embarrassing you here but what did United do that you wouldn't expect any team in the Premier League to do? Oh no I mean my my overall takeaway was Manchester United a bang average actually and all my Manchester United mates that were sort of celebrating their 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 point oh everyone thought we were going to get battered and we got a point away at Stamford Bridge I was like well we just looked like a bit of a mid-table side that thought you know if we can batten down the hatches in the second half we've nicked a goal you know, maybe we can get a point out of it. It wasn't, you know, it's nothing inspiring, let's put it that way. It well, Thomas Tuchel compared it to the Burnley game and Burnley managed to get a point as well. Mm. I mean, I mean, for him, as I don't think he was trying to, you know, be mean-spirited, but that, that, that was the level he saw it at. It's a team that were limited. He felt his own team were much, much superior. And yet, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. If you work hard, you'll get a point. Well, I like hard work, but I, don't, I just don't see this as a massive corner turn. No, I, I tend to agree with you and, and Thomas Tuchel as well. I don't think it's a massive corner turn, but it, it's a green shoot. Can I not hold on to that? You know, it's for me, it is, it is a step in the right direction. And then you hope that Ralph Rangnick will make more steps in the right direction and they will, you know, I know you said it was a very low base at Watford, but I, I think it was okay this week. Do, do we ever see a corner turns immediately? I mean, even the, you know, the, the speed at which Tuchel transformed Chelsea. The first game was quite a dull nil-nil mm-hmm, yeah. against Wolves, wasn't it? It's, uh, it's what happens when a manager gets sacked. 
takes a bit more than a few days, doesn't it? You're just deflating me. And this is very deliberate. You two had a conversation. <laughs> oh, we did. You yeah. did. You, Out you, in no, the coffee you, room. You, you know, yep. you've teamed up on me and I'm not happy about it. Um, is it working? It is, yeah. I'm feeling very glum now. Um, let's talk about that Ronaldo decision, though, from Michael Carrick to leave him on the bench that you mentioned, Alison. Because you're right. I think the takeaway is, oh, Carrick had a plan here. You know, this is a very deliberate. Why would you leave Ronaldo on the bench? Why would you want to annoy Roy Keane to this extent? You know, whatever it might be. So he said that they'd had a conversation and that Ronaldo was great about it. Do you think this is something that we'll have to get used to this season, seeing Ronaldo on the bench more? Possibly. I think the thing is, all the talk is about Ralph Ranić and his desire to develop or his reputation for developing young players. But at the same time, surely it would be foolish to walk into a club like Man United that is full of politics and unsettle someone as influential as Ronaldo. So I don't think we're going to see him sat on the bench every single week. Um, Most weeks? Honestly, I'm not sure. Mm. I don't know. We'll, we'll, because Ranić has never Ranić has never come into a club like Man United before. And what's fascinating is the fact that he's not, you know, what he did at Hoffenheim was, was impressive. What he did at Leipzig was incredible, but he was building clubs he was you know almost a blank canvas and at, at man united it's it's a very muddy ca- canvas mm. already it's it's rebuilding isn't it restructuring it's correcting it's not as straightforward as his sort of cv um yeah it, his cv isn't the same is it really with this i think we've seen the birth of the super sub cristiano now oh yeah yeah I think that's you the see, only logical... Why are you so happy about it? She's got a grin ear to ear. Whoa, did you hate no, him or something? No, no, but it is it is slightly ludicrous that because he's had, and arguably is, having an incredible career and the way he does pop up and get those goals means he is a special player. But he's a human being and he is getting older and he can't do the things that younger players can do. He can't press. His game isn't built on that for a start and also it just... just Biology means he's not going to be as energetic as someone who's 21. So you have to think about the team and not... You have to get that balance right between what he brings in sort of ethereal, intangible force of personality sense and how much you're prepared to absorb someone who loiters. I mean, you know, he's probably the world's most famous goal hanger is Cristiano Ronaldo, you could argue. And you have to balance that. They're all positives, but you have to balance that with what what you achieve as a team by working as a team and working hard as a team. And United are, are a side that have to up their work great by quite a lot if that's the path they're going to go down or they wouldn't be approaching Ralph if they... It's funny how people get called Ralph by their first name because it's still quite a cute name I think I'm, well, there's I'm a lot of that going Ralph. around come on there's a lot of that um, going around it's not just Ralph's no no Ralph is one of them Ralph's one okay. of those names I so think. you think we'll Ralph. all call him Ralph I like Ralph yeah. well we all just go oh Ralph's done this he's yeah. already Conte isn't Antonio is he no exactly no, no. no. but Jose is Jose isn't yeah. he Jose's Jose, yeah. I like to call it. He's actually a Mourinho to me. Oh, yeah. Is, is <laughs> that nice? Because you're not a fan. He's not nice enough to be called Jose. Pep's a Pep. Klopp is Klopp. He's not no. a Jurgen. No. I've I've heard Rogers called Brendan. No, not for me. Rogers only. We could go down the the full league if you like, but um, but there is a there is a politic to it. Stick sticking with what Alison said. It, it, what's really interesting will be to see if um, Ranić tries to get. 
Ronaldo. You're, calling, you're not calling him Ralph, though. I know. So and, you're and, rubbishing and, the whole and, thing. And Ranick <laughs> isn't coming out of my mouth very Sounds nicely. Sounds like you're being <laughs> sick. That's yeah. the problem. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if Ralphie uh, gets <laughs> gets uh, He's gets a fan from of the Ralphie as well. Gets Chris <laughs> pressing um, <laughs> attempts to because I uh, saw him talking about uh, Mane, you know, Mane, Firmino, and Salah, and how he worked with two of them, right, Mane and Firmino, Hoffenheim mm. and Leipzig, and um, he got he he was talking about the way when they arrived. Uh, they weren't pressing players, but now they're known as, you know, that's their quality. They didn't arrive in that way, but the difference is how young they were. But does he try and get Ronaldo? Does he Does he make any attempt to try and get Ronaldo pressing? I'm happy as a Manchester United fan if he can get all the younger ones pressing because, um, you know, Jaden Sancho isn't bad at it. Mason Greenwood is pretty awful at it. It would be good to see if Rashford can do that continuously if he can get anything out of Anthony Martial before he gets sold that would be great as well no I I just think he needs to lay the foundation that's the job that he seems to have been given Um, but if he can turn some of those players into harder working players who actually just run with an intention a design a knowledge in what they're doing what we have is we have people who just sort of run towards a player they don't really know why they're doing or what it's meant to achieve we have that a lot under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so if there's some sort of coordination in that press and the players actually know why they're doing it then I, I will be happy do you think this changes Lingard's future because he feels like he's, he's he not does bad, feel he? like he, he will play but I don't I think it's too late in the day now I think he's set his mind on going somewhere else where he will be valued and he, he deserves it really so I think if he were staying at the club then yeah he would he would play much more regularly I just wanted to expand on what you said earlier, Hugh. You said a player of Ronaldo's influence. Is he influential now at Old Trafford? When you say influence, I think really the influence he has is that it gets former Man United um, icons to bleat on and on and on about what he means to the club because they're living in the era when he was there first Mm -hmm. and they know the impact he had then and they know how amazing he's been in Europe. But now, coming back into Old Trafford, does he really wield power? I think so. I think so. I actually don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would have got sacked unless he was there, Ronaldo. Not for a football reason, but aside from the fact it sends the the signal that we should be a fantastic club challenging for trophies because Cristiano Ronaldo is up front for us. Aside from that, I, I think he would have drawn the line over the performances where I don't think maybe anyone in the squad would have previously you know you could see his face at the end of matches you know he was it was very abundantly obvious to him this is unacceptable and I think there are very few people inside Manchester United for whom those performances would have been unacceptable for if this was last season you know in in fact there have been times under Solskjaer where many fans would have said it's not going to happen it's very obvious he's not the person for the job there are very good candidates out there let's move on that line was not drawn until Cristiano Ronaldo was at the club I don't know if there have been private conversations going on but I did think that the tide would definitely change with his presence whether that means he's a big influence or not, I don't know. But I, I think he is. I think his, the fact his that, scowling is a big yeah, influence. Yeah, is what you're yeah, saying. yeah. But not just that. I mean, the fact that Carrick is saying, "Well, you know, I had to sit down with him earlier this week," and he's thirty, almost thirty-seven years old. I mean, what, do you really have to explain to him why he's going to be on the bench and and do this man management thing? He's won everything. He knows the game inside out. But Carrick still feels he has to treat that player with that amount of care. So there's definitely an influence there for sure. But it wasn't on the pitch yesterday, unfortunately. Let's talk about Jorginho, who had an influence at both ends of the pitch. Firstly, for Manchester United's goal, what was he doing, Tom? He was looking up into the lights, as Alison referred to earlier. 
it was awful. It was um, sort of Denver Bar-esque a little bit and a terrific finish from Sancho. Well, 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 terrific finish. I mean, he took, I, it, he took it well, but Marcus Rashford ran offside. I mean, he gave him no option to pass it. I yeah. don't know what Rashford was doing. He was about a yard in front of him. It was like, cheers, mate. If that had got saved, it would have been all Rashford's fault. It was one of those situations, though, where you felt he had so much time, Sancho, mm. and for a player who who's struggled with confidence recently you thought it's too much time <laughs> is he going to overthink this and then watching what he does for the finish is is not someone who's been lacking in confidence at all but on Jorginho what we can't forget with the, the penalty he had is that he's just missed two really important penalties for Italy that put them in a playoff situation mm. so it was quite impressive to watch him I was surprised by his penalty I've got to say because I'm a big Jorginho penalty fan but only when he does the stuttered run I actually think the goalkeeper has a pretty good chance of saving it when he doesn't do the stuttered run so I thought as he as he addressed the ball I thought he's going to do the stutter he's going to wait see where the goalkeeper goes roll it in the other corner in the end he, d- he did put it in the corner of the goal but there was no stuttered run and you sort of thought if De Gea had guessed the right way, that was a pretty comfortable height. It wasn't smashed in. There was a bit of a stutter. There was sort of a nah. it, uh, hanging. A, I don't know how to describe hanging it. His a, right leg yeah. back before just a small it's delay. Bizarre. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, he scored, so you know he got the job done in the end. I just worry for him long term. I love, but don't you just love the psychology of? penalty taking who takes them because really logically Reese James should have taken that penalty because the last two League Cup games Chelsea have been involved in have gone to a penalty shootout and the last penalty has been taken by Reese James so that's the one that really matters in front of the home fans it's a tense situation and he looks as cool as you like and his penalties are unstoppable they're very well executed he has such power Reese James such mm. a powerful striker of the ball so given all that, given he knows how to take a I don't know, spotlight, really difficult moment penalty. And as you say, Tom, Jorginho has been missing them. Logically, if it's just purely on what, who's been doing what and how they do it, you'd have given it to Rhys James. There's always more to it, isn't there? And there is this sense of wanting not to undermine a player. It's... What it mean? What it would mean in terms of redemption? Because it was his mistake that gave United the goal. These things are romantic notions, and they should not be part of it. I don't think, but they are. They are inevitably are. And Thomas Tuchel will be feeling absolutely chuffed to bits that he was able to afterwards talk mostly about how proud he was of how Jorginho um, held his nerve after feeling like he'd let his team down and so on. Because you've ended up turning a negative into a double positive when it really wasn't. It was just cancelling out one mistake Timo Werner got to talk about him next particularly as we've got his doppelganger Tom Roddy here Um, (laughs) is he done Tom is he done I mean he had so many chances in that game he just doesn't look a natural at a team like Chelsea with Romelu Lukaku coming back from injury off the bench at the end of the game you would have thought had he started and been fit and firing Lukaku would have had a field day I remember going to um, pre-season game at Stamford Bridge uh, against Tottenham and Werner missed two, three chances. I mean, we the ones we're seeing like yesterday, exactly the same. And the shed end was still sort of singing his name. And I thought, yeah, wait until it gets into the mid-season and it becomes crucial and important matches. It hasn't made a difference. I don't know if it's the fact they're leading the table, but that was that were 
that was two drop points again for Chelsea yesterday. They were really poor misses from Werner. And still he has the support of the fans mm. there because of the effort he puts in. But you thought watching that that Lukaku would have put those chances away and even away from it sometimes his movement is a little bit strange he does get into into dangerous areas and creates these opportunities but there were a few times where Reese James as Alison just mentioned his delivery is is incredible and there was no one there and you just thought he he should have been the, the one to do it. And Tuchel mentioned his injury and he, he is coming back from a ham, hamstring injury, but that felt like a, an excuse to mm. me. Mm. Uh, will he go though? I saw some Chelsea fans saying he should leave the club in January next summer. One problem is that I think part of, tiny part of Tuchel's remit was to get the best out of him. And if he went in January, it's a, bit like I failed isn't it look at me I failed this is a player it cost a lot of money and definitely has a lot of potential he's still playing okay for Germany isn't he I mean he is he's scoring anyway so I it's um it, 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 I, it's a trick it's a tricky one again in terms of the optics in terms of what it says about the inability to get the most out of a player and as Tom says the fans know he's trying hard it's it's not. He's not. One of the, he's not one of these sulky players who regrets moving to London. He's not one of these players who says, "Oh, well, I can't stand the traffic, and I wish I was back living in my little village, wherever these little villages." He's trying very hard, and fans do appreciate that. But there's there's something not quite right, and you do feel a good coach would be able to find that that just that that golden key to make it to unlock it somehow. It was a good result for the uh, title race, though, wasn't it? It's very very tight. I think two points separating the top three clubs and it's the, the three we expected. I've got no, no questions on this really, but I just think we are, we could see. You're just a, happy. We just could see, a, <laughs> we, we could see what we've dreamt of for so long, which is a genuine nail biting, tense title race down to the last couple of games with several teams, which would be great. Wouldn't it? Of course it would. Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, so I'm not even sure hand on heart if you're the fan of, a club that's capable of winning the title, you'd rather win it by goal difference on the final day, wouldn't you? I mean, you just would. I would. Mm, nah. <laughs> I'll take an 18-point title win celebrating with five games to go, to be perfectly honest. I just can't take the nerves. Um, listen, we've got a lot still to discuss. We're going to talk about Everton and Brighton. We'll talk about Richard Masters, the Premier League Chief Executive, and this independent review and what he's had to say about Newcastle United as well. So stay with us on the game. Remember, if you're enjoying it, rate us, leave us a review, and make sure you're subscribed. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
After a great start to the season, it's now seven games without a win in the Premier League for Everton. They lost 1-0 at Brentford. It's left some fans with big question marks over Rafa Benitez, their manager. They were very unlucky, in my opinion, not to score at least once. Ivan Tony's penalty decided things. Benitez said, it's a question of confidence, missing players. You could see what we're capable of doing at the beginning of the season. When we have everyone available, I'm confident we will do it again. But Alison, how worried should Benitez be? He's quite a calm bloke, actually. So I don't think he'll be in panic mode. But he will know that their next game is against Liverpool. And if Liverpool do to a fragile Everton what they did to a fragile Man United, it will all blow up. You'd get away with a nil-nil because that's what Merseyside Derby usually is after all. And in fact, if it was nil-nil and two Everton players got sent off, I think most people would enjoy that and, and think, well, he's, he's you know, he, he doesn't mind giving his former club one, does he? But it's it does seem to be building to this slightly artificial crescendo of, oh, it's Liverpool next and they're not showing. And when you compare what Liverpool are playing like at the moment and what Everton are playing like at the moment, it does feel like impending doom. So he he will be worried. But I was looking at his demeanour on the touchline and it is one of, he does look perplexed. He does look like someone who's worked hard on the training ground, told them what to do, and it's not quite coming off. Sometimes when you get injuries and key players missing, if you, I mean, their bench was a non-entity, so that is a, an issue and probably has an impact um and what he feels he can do and what how the first team feel they're doing. It's Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin that are missing. I think a good team can absorb missing their, their, their top strikers and you can, they might not score the goals they deserve, but you can see the patterns of play and the, the toil and the work and everything but it, it, it shouldn't permeate the whole team and I think that's why he looked perplexed it's like there's a slight acceptance there that they've been a bit unlucky with injuries and suspensions and it's not gelling and there's a lot of palpable lack, lack of confidence I mean that's probably more worrying than the fact that Richarlison's picking up too many yellow cards for example which which I know Benitez went public on as being disappointed by it's just this acceptance of your fate and I do you sort of think what is it about innate inability to rise above it because there's a big touch of the Tottenham's about Everton at the moment in terms of Spursy. a club that can't yeah they're can't escape their history they're not Spursy because they haven't even got to the point of almost doing something so I think that's not that's not really defined in Spursy no though. I mean more <laughs> in terms of you become a caricature of yourself and Everton are starting to be that. Can I just first of all get confirmation from Alison? It is Rafa, isn't it? It's not Benitez. <laughs> it's, Ra- it's Rafa. Rafa's Rafa, that's it's, true. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, <laughs> you see how Everton played at the beginning of the season and how good they were. And it all it all looked like a gamble that had paid off. And the, the problem is now they have had terrible injuries and to really keep players at the and the the biggest one, the most important one, is Dominic Calvert Lewin. I mean, he, he is the the central figure of of that team. They bought went out and bought Damari Gray and Andros Townsend in the summer to be to to complement him. That was the reason they were brought in. So to to be without him has been has been massive, really significant. And we saw what they have been with him and what they are without him. And it's not, 
it's not just Everton. And I agree with Alison. I mean, you look at a team like Leeds United and they, they lose a player. Um, and similar with Chelsea, they lose a player. You don't really see too much of a difference in how they operate. It's a system rather than individuals. But we saw it a little bit with Wolves last year with Raul Jimenez. When he was, when he was out, it, it impacted them so much. The one thing, though, is that I find with Rafa Benitez is that he's promising at the moment, you know, you will see the real Everton when all these players are back. And it's a little bit, it's an excuse a little bit and an understandable one, a justified one. But the Newcastle period was there were excuses at Newcastle a little bit with the, the lack of finances. And so it really, once he gets Calvert-Lewin back, once Ducouré is fit as well, that was his first game back, yeah. and he's a key player. Once he has all the players back, it it has to work because the Everton fans or a section of the Everton fans are so ready to turn on him. Yeah. And you can just picture Anfield on Wednesday, this... Goodison Park. Sorry, Goodison Park. Yeah. You can picture the away section of of Liverpool fans chanting Benitez's name, just like teasing the Everton fans and it will wind them up yeah Rafa's at the wheel might be getting some by the <laughs> Liverpool fans at, at Goodison Park I think you're right Alison in, in, in talking about Tottenham Hotspur that there probably should be a shift in expectation from the Everton fans no one wants to do it at this stage of the season but I think with the injuries and the lack of investment in the summer and the fact that there are going to be financial constraints at, at Everton that Rafa Benitez may well end up being a bit of a steward for you know a custodian in terms of the squad for, for years to come, you know, get out the players that we can get out, try and be shrewd and get us through a period of what will be, I think, cost cutting, which isn't what you want, isn't what was promised by Farhad Mashiri, but it, it seems to be the position that they're in now. And actually mid-table might be something that they might have to accept now for the next two or three seasons. Do you agree? Oh, I don't, well, you put it like that, it seems entirely sensible, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think there's a single Everton fan who would feel that way. Because they've, they've had these spurts of glory. And like Tom said, there was one this season as well. But they've had them before. What you think? Oh, it's all coming right for Everton now. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. One of the one of the game's big teams. Yes. A club that deserves to be challenging for top four. And then it just sort of goes up with a little whimper. You're right. You should know who you are and what your plan is. And But fans don't go along with that. They don't. They don't, as a fan, you can't accept that. And it's going to be harder for them to accept it with Rafa at the wheel, as you say. Because most of them didn't really want him. Yeah, I think that's a tough thing. I think it is actually realising that you're not going to be as good as you were and you've got a manager who used to be the Liverpool boss who you've got no connection with. Many of them didn't want in the first place. And you're sort of saying, what are we now? And, and you know, my message to the Everton fans would be be patient. But then, it, you know, who wants to wait, as you say, two, three seasons when you apparently had spent all this money? Well, you definitely did. But none of those signings have, have worked out, really. Just finally on it, Everton, I, I think they should have got a penalty in this game. Hmm. Salomon Rondon. I mean, well, Pontus Janssen was basically trying to swap shirts with him early. And I, I, I was watching the highlights, actually, and I immediately saw it. And, you know, it, it does startle you when a player has got their entire, you know, belly on show in the Premier League for no apparent reason. You know, he's not celebrating a goal, which is where I'd usually see a belly. And I, I'm just looking at it and I'm like, that's going to get, you know, that's going to get looked at on VAR, surely. And I was actually watching the highlights expecting there to be a decision or a replay. And I was like, nothing happened there. And actually, I thought maybe it was just me until... 
I was watching match of the day. Um, Alan Shearer and Ian Wright both said that was a penalty. And I was like, yeah, it was. It, it looked like a stonewall penalty. Why don't you think it was checked or, or why don't you think it was given? I don't know. I really don't know because I agree. I thought it was. Um, I, I thought it was a penalty, and it wasn't just you know that kind of uh, a pull down on a shirt y- you can get away with, but seeing a torso rather than a belly hue. Oh, I on like sh- be- I like belly gate. It's better <laughs> than torso. <laughs> on on show, I don't know how it was missed with all the cameras with the var yeah. in the ground. Yeah. yeah, it was bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. I think it was. If there's an explanation. It's that it was in the. It was in the tempo of the game. The game was quite physical, and I just feel sometimes they want to stop. As we know, they Rondon do. They don't want. They don't want VAR to start to no, alter he, the tempo. If he goes ballistic and he starts waving his arms or rolling around or screaming at the ref, I think VAR has a look. I think there's a lot of players that know now. If they think something has happened, they have to do something. It's almost like you're alerting Stockley Park. You know, you're like. Just stand there waving at the cameras, you know, <laughs> looking up at the spider cam. Me there, you know. I think that I think that they almost have to milk it. And Rondon just sort of got on with the game, and I think that's the reason he never got a decision actually. But that was that was actually that was part of what happened with the the uh, Brentford penalty, wasn't it? it? It took quite a while to actually go back to it mm. to review it. Yeah, that, that's true. So they should have done it for for both of them. We want consistency, Stockley Park. I know you're listening. Uh, Let's move on. Talking about consistency, Brighton boss Graham Potter saying he disagrees completely with fans booing the side after a goalless draw with Leeds. They they hit the woodwork, Brighton, three times in this game, uh, but their winless run is now nine games. They've never, ever finished in the top half of the top flight. They currently sit eighth in the Premier League. Potter said... Maybe I need a history lesson on this football club when he was asked about the booing. Alison, do the Brighton fans have a reason to boo? Because their record in the last nine, seven draws, only two defeats. Potter has gauged this one incorrectly. And he had a posi- he, he had the chance to reframe what the booing meant, actually. He should have said, the game's about goals. We put in so much work. We're such a well-constructed team. He could have praised the way he, he'd set the team up. They're so hard to beat. And he, like any fan, would would want that to produce a, a winning goal at the end. And so he completely understands that people turn up and pay their money because they, they want goal mouth action. And everything's going well apart from that. But because he's got the basics right, because they are hard to beat, more goals will come. And he could have said, you know, explained a bit about Mopé's uh, lack of confidence in recent weeks, but he's seen signs that he's back on track and so on. He could have completely reframed it and had everyone at Brighton thinking, oh, we're still so lucky to have Graham Potter. Instead, I think a little element of, I think he was just miffed because Every time there's a managerial vacancy, Potter is linked to it. Up and coming, clever young, relatively young English manager. Um, where will he go next? And he he keeps talking about loyalty and how he loves the setup at Brighton and he wants to stay there. And he sort of feels, well, I've said all that. I've not gone anywhere. And now you're booing me. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. And look, look how much I've done for the club compared to everybody else. He's let that tiny sliver of ego come mm. out, I think. Whereas... As I've said, I think he could have been cleverer with the booing and turned it into a, a positive and brought the fans back on side. It's so funny because uh, that the answer Alison suggested he, he should have said is is just typical Graham Potter, the reasonable, you know, we, you're doing this job, you go into press conferences hoping that they're going to say something really interesting. 
and and Graham Potter is a is a is a fascinating man to listen to, but press conference wise, it's all very sort of reasonable and um, lo- low key a little bit. So I could not believe it when when this happened <laughs> and the the irony in what he said. It wasn't just it wasn't straight. It was laced with such irony with the history lesson. But I think it was to do with the windless run. Uh, I think that is why they booed, and it was the frustration at, at not at not scoring goals, and it's quite understandable because they're the. the it's not understandable. No, 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 not no. Uh, it's understandable. Potter's reaction. Oh, I see. yeah, yeah. It's Potter's <laughs> sorry. Potter's reaction is understandable. Hugh just threw his arms out wide. Um, Potter's reaction is understandable because that club, where they have come from, I mean, I think they've spent they've been in existence for 120 years, and 111 of them have been outside the top tier. I mean, this is not this is this is not a historically big club. I mean, they're on the level of traditionally of what, like a Swansea City, clubs like that. They And they're playing fabulous football. They lack quality in front of goal. And sadly, this kind of hangs on Neil Mopé's yeah. shoulders very heavily. Uh, the only thing that I would say about that is I was amazed. I think we're all amazed that they didn't go and get a sort of Proven goal scorer is something that they would have been difficult. It would have been difficult for them to get, but you know, you see a Pats and Dacca, for example, going to Leicester City to almost be their their second choice and play in the Europa League, and you sort of think he probably could have got, you know, someone who was scoring a goal a game in the Austrian Super League. You know, he probably could have brought that player into Brighton and, and put them up front and seen what they could have done. But um, the fact that they sort of wet, stayed with the always injured, you know, Danny Welbeck and the often not very. Um, not very lethal in front of goal Neil Mopé, I, I thought was very, very surprising. They've, al- they've also lost Glenn Murray, who I think he got 25 goals in their first two years in the Premier League. So it, it, he's left a quite a big gap up front. But again, it, you know, Glenn Murray was, you know, we talk about Cristiano Ronaldo's age, you know, Glenn Murray was was very much, you know, it's the end of his career. You have to plan for that, surely. You have to say, who are we going to replace him with? And it wasn't, you know, oh, Danny Welbeck's just been relegated. Let's see if we can get him on. You know, it was very like, well, where's the planning for a striker here? You're in the Premier League. You do get a decent amount of money for staying up. You know, a striker is probably the area of the pitch that you, you always need to invest in if yours aren't going to score. So I found it very weird that sort of as a manager, as great as he is, Graham Potter, wouldn't what at the end of season meeting, surely the first thing that you said, what do you, what do you, what should we be doing this summer? It's like, we need to get a striker. We need a striker, but they didn't, they didn't bring one in. So I find that to be very odd, at least one that I can't think of. So but do you, do you now think? All the Brighton fans are going to be going. Oh, I'm so sorry, I booed. No, you think this is they're going to be they're going to be slightly against Graham Potter, I think, because he, he went back at them. But I also think you know some of them should be like, well, he's he's got a point. You know, some of them are going to be rational thinkers. You're eighth in the Premier League, and the run is not it's not a a nine game winless run with five defeats. You've lost two games in there. You've got seven draws, seven games where you weren't beaten. You're clearly a, an improving side. You're clearly better than you were last year. Um, and you're eighth in the Premier League. I mean, it's there's nothing to boo. And it's a nil-nil draw. Right, it's against Leeds United who are struggling, but we know they're not a bad side on their day, Leeds United. I don't, look, they hit the woodwork three times as well. Come on, would you have booed? It's not... I, I wouldn't. I don't believe you should ever boo your own team, but... Well, there's booing and but, there's but booing I, but I wouldn't boo the people that do boo the team yeah <laughs> no there's booing and there's booing I, as I say he could have easily reframed that booing as a frustration because we played so well we deserve to be scoring more goals as opposed to it being the normal boo which means we don't like you anymore 
Let's talk about the manager in the other dugout very quickly. Marcelo Bielsa, he had a comment to make about the quality of the Premier League. He implied the schedule's overcharged. He said the trend was that every team was covering less distance this season. He added, commercialization produces a product which is considerably worse. It gives me great sadness that football is deteriorating. Is it? Well, his team are, so that's what he means, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> he has been unable to keep them as fresh and intense and quite scary to play against as they were last season. There is, There are elements where there are periods of games where they, they do, do look like they can't maintain it. And we were all worried about burnout. We're always worried about burnout when there's a team coached by him. And so it, it's about how you plot that through. Jurgen Klopp learned the hard way. He, he saw his players get too tired towards the end of a campaign. So he said, right, we just ease up on the intensity. So I think Bielsa's coming through the prism of his own experience, which is that his way of playing football is just can't, you can't relentlessly keep going because there are lots of games and it is pressured and it will take its toll. I don't know why you'd blame market forces or capitalism it, for is it. The, is the product considerably worse though? The product. Do you feel the product of football? The Leeds, amount- Leeds are considerably worse. They're less entertaining to watch. Yes, but I don't think it, I don't. I'm sorry. If you substitute the word football for Leeds, yes, he's spot on. But if <laughs> otherwise, no, I don't think so. No, I I, I agree. Uh, watching the Premier League, I haven't I haven't been disappointed. I mean, we can talk about a close title race. It's it's exciting. That doesn't mean the quality of the football is good, mm. but it, but it is, mm. you know. Um, at the same time, a lot of the the top teams are have such huge squads now where they just move players in and out with such ease. You know, the injuries they suffer. It's it's easy to de- to deal with, and those with less less finances are struggling. Okay, I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with him. I'm sort of coming round the older I get to the idea of 18 teams in the Premier League. We could talk about this at length on another day. We'll talk about an independent regulator later. Maybe it will come up. This is probably a side note from what Marcelo Bielsa had to say. I still feel like there, there, there is a lot of football. And if we're going to keep Premier, League's, Premier League teams in the EFL Cup, I sort of think that maybe, you know, if there's going to be three competitions, we don't need as many league games. Uh, I'm going to run for the hills now, um, but you guys can uh, let me know on social media what you think about that. Uh, we're going to be talking about Richard... Super League. Yeah, Super League. exactly, exactly. Um, we're going to talk about Richard Masters, the Premier League Chief Executive next, who has finally had something to say about Newcastle United. The Premier League Chief Executive Richard Masters has finally broken his silence about Newcastle United. He's given an interview to the BBC. He was asked about making a distinction between the Saudi state and the 80% owners of Newcastle United, the PIF, Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. Master said, there is a corporate difference between the two. There is. That is what we're investigating, whether the Saudi state could control the club through the investment fund. We have received insurances, though, that that is not the case. Human rights groups have said the deal is an attempt to improve the country's image by sports washing its record on human rights abuses. Uh, Masters went on to say you can't have one rule for one and one for another. And so Newcastle will be run on the right basis. 
PIF are an investor in many other companies in this country and maybe football is being targeted and talked about in a different way. I can't choose who is chairing a football club. The owner's test doesn't let us take a view on that. Which seems to me like another person pretending sports washing doesn't exist because they're pointing the finger at other sectors and not understanding that their sector is, is slightly different. Um, yes, if I own a telecoms company, no one's going to accuse me of sports washing it, are they? Because exactly. it's not a sport. Exactly. Ridiculous. Exactly. So I find I find that to be slightly odd, but I also don't think there's a standout company that the Saudi, the PIF is, is using to change the image of, of their nation. Unless I can, you know, I don't, I don't associate Uber or McDonald's with, with, the Saudi Arabian state, but you may well soon, by some changes that I imagine will be made over the coming years, associate Newcastle United very strongly with the Saudi state. So that, that is that is what is so disappointing about what you just read out, Hugh. Clearly, you, it's possible to say all that he said. It's ignoring the elephant in the room. He's just it's just appallingly bland and lacking in insight and why and fearful. He does not address what the role of the Premier League's image is in the world and how it could be hijacked by anybody with enough money. As you say, he doesn't even mention the term sports washing. So if he really wanted to make an argument, what he should have done was to have said, I believe sports washing to be this. I don't believe in this instance that this is possible and explain why. And he couldn't, so he didn't. Yeah. Very disappointing, Tom. I, th- I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting. I think it's at the end of the interview where it's put to him about the the independent regulator and the government backed independent regulator, and his suggestion was it would make no difference, which you know we'd expect him to say. But I felt like a lot of what he was saying suggested he didn't have a huge say in this, and of course he does. But it felt like there were influences from elsewhere that that he wanted to speak about and couldn't the worst part for me i mean this all looks really bad in print but it it seemed foolish to do it as a broadcast interview because it comes across so poorly on camera especially probably most of all when he's asked about the, the the conflict that it shows with the rainbow laces campaign because he responds by saying of course I see it and basically says my concern is this this is what I've got to to deal with in and that's the directors and owners test which which says to me it's you know box that can be ticked they're two separate entities there's a difference okay go through I mean there was also something ridiculous that Richard Master said which was essentially that we could we could if we if we see that Mohammed bin Salman who of course stands accused by many of the intelligence agencies of ordering the murder of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. You know, if we see that he's involved directly with giving orders to the PIF about how Newcastle United should be run, that we can remove their ownership. I mean, do you, do you really think that Richard Masters is ever going to press the red button on Mohammed bin Salman and his ownership of Newcastle United? That will never, ever, ever happen. There won't be any circumstance under which Newcastle United... Um, could you... I mean, they've done it in American sport. They have very different rules in terms of ownership. They did manage to get the owner of the LA Clippers to sell his club after he was caught making, you know, overtly racist comments. You know, within the space of two weeks, it was... Basically, this is the price you've got to sell and someone bought it, you know, and, and 
teams of that ilk do not become available very often because of the fact that it's a franchise model and even if your team is horrendously bad you will always always make a huge amount of money in american sports so you know it's a big decision to force an owner to sell you could never do that in football you know firstly they'll buy another club but but in reality what you're just going to name a price then or you're going to buy it back yourself i mean is the premier league going to take ownership and say like well you know you've defaulted so here you go here's your 1.5 billion and we'll do whatever it would might be at the time and we'll take the club from you and what run it ourselves it's just not going to happen so i found that to be very very odd aside from all the the, the moral stuff that he mentioned or rather didn't mention again i felt like you know i wasn't uh, i was i was disappointed in what eddie howe had to say in that he he sort of didn't even acknowledge the issues richard masters then then did acknowledge the issues and yes i can see the conflict like you mentioned tom but that is sort of not my 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 thing and it, it's it almost undermines everything that football is trying to do in a positive sense in so many different areas that you know well we, we didn't have a rule for morals so we couldn't do anything about it once you have some degree of of power and you refuse to acknowledge what sports washing is and you allow the takeover to happen you have you have bolted the door completely and there is no turning back at all i i i'm struggling to see what could possibly now happen to, for the premier league to act decisively and i don't even know if there's any mechanism in place for them mm. to do so anyway what i found strange was the line as well that we can't have one rule for one and one for another which almost seemed like a massive a massive admission you know we basically saying we've got other sports washing teams in the premier league so i can't stop another one which almost, which I also found to be very, it was very, a very strange. odd sentence actually. Yeah, together, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was. Well, it was just sort of like you know. Well, it was we, vague, vague and perturbing. We've allowed it before, so we've got to allow it again. It, it was what I took from it, and I, I, I just thought, where's the line? Will there ever be a line? Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you that that was what he was part of what he was saying, but also to to suggest this one was similar to to anything else is extraordinary the the situation with PIF or or the Saudi state its involvement in general it's remarkable for him to say it. I mean it was clearly an interview he did not want to do and was was pushed into I don't know how many weeks on we are now but mm. we we've sat on this podcast saying the uh, silence is Honestly definitely- I think he's doing this interview because of the independent regulator story mm. but he had but he did answer questions on Newcastle you almost want to give him credit for that but he should have come out weeks and weeks ago and spoken about it but um but actually I think that you know there are many people associated with the Premier League who have been coming out to sort of almost respond to all of the stuff in the media that the government has been putting forth about why football does need a regulator. You almost felt they'd all come out and say, like, we're going to start doing some media here to get our points across about why it would be bad. And, and inevitably, he had to then answer questions on Newcastle. It shows how shows how uh, defensive they are about this independent regulator that he knew he would be quizzed on the Saudi state and Newcastle and the takeover to 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 actually go up for this. Mm, mm. I, I just find the the fact that there might be assurances to be really nonsensical, but um but there is a point raised by Newcastle fans that it's just like, well why why can't our our owners come into the league? You know, it, there are other clubs who have, you know, so, certainly moral issues hanging over them. You know, some of them have been you know, criminal allegations, etc. Elsewhere in the world, all allegations. But so far, I don't think we've had a real episode in the Premier League that we would all stand up and say they need to be out. But um, maybe Newcastle's the first. But 
it almost for me was like we need an independent reg- regulator clearly then it, it, Richard Masters is saying because I have no control I couldn't have stopped this it's almost like saying to, to, to football we do need an independent regulator whilst at the same time saying it would be a terrible idea we don't need an independent regulator because I think if there was an independent regulator maybe PIF wouldn't have been able to buy Newcastle. But his suggestion was that even if the government was involved, it still would have gone through. Yeah, but I don't listen. I hate that rhetoric of footballs being targeted. Oh, because, I agree. Because yeah. again, sports wash. Like I say, it, then it's everyone pretending that sports washing isn't a thing. That there aren't organisations being used for the 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 explicit use of of basically propaganda. Is there are very few that I could think of on the top of my head, organisations that have been invested in for reasons other than money. Yeah. The other investments that they have are about making money. There is no investment here about making money. They're going to lose billions of pounds on Newcastle, but they believe it's worth it because there is a greater goal. And, and and that's what I mean. I just think, I just well, I don't understand it. It's not even disappointing to me. I just don't understand why people are acting like they don't understand what's happening here. By people, I mean people like Richard Masters who were very much in the middle of it. He knows exactly what it is. So, uh, you know. Is there a a degree of, uh, I don't know, fear that if you were to be proactive about sports washing, you might be worried that where does it end? Because most, the vast majority of owners of football clubs have a motivation that isn't they're, they're this, worried. Is a, this is a great business deal, and I want to give lots mm. of jobs to people. There, there is, there is, there is a. There's a narrative behind every reason for the, owning the, something. The overarching worry for for the Premier League is the billionaires will take their money to another league, and Serie A will be the te- the league that has all the stars in, and the teams that are getting to the the quarterfinals of the Champions League and having these great nights. They they truly believe that they'll stop buying our clubs. The money will go elsewhere, and and obviously they're a, um, an organisation that is there to make money for the clubs, and they don't want the money elsewhere. They don't want the broadcasting deals elsewhere. So it's just about protecting themselves. And I, I just I don't I, I think that's the biggest fear. You see Christian Perslow and Steve Parrish coming out in the last week as well. You know, just talking about how ridiculous it would be to have an independent regulator, but the independent regulator would surely speak to people like them in football. To, to come to a consensus over what the best thing for football would be. No one is p- implying, as far as I can see, that the independent regulator is a separate body to people in football, you know, has no people involved in football. It's just politicians saying, no, that, nah, don't fancy them being, you know, it, you know, making up rules as they wish. Surely people in football will be as part of the independent regulator. And really the rules that the independent regulator is looking to bring in you know, they're talking about teams like Berry and Macclesfield. You know, they're talking about the rules being there to not lead to the destruction of football clubs. I don't think there's going to be many rules there. Uh, maybe Richard Master is right. They're not going to stop people buying football clubs that have more money than anyone else in the world. I don't think why that's why we need an independent regulator. I just feel like it's, well, it's not strange. That's the wrong word. It's entirely predictable why people involved with the Premier League would come out against it. But the argument is strange. It doesn't really make sense because it's almost like they're arguing for a complete worst case scenario instead of what is really re- what would be most reasonable and, I, and logical. And maybe I'm naive about what the independent regulator would be. <laughs> you know, well, it's, it's fear of the unknown, isn't it? Mm. I mean, people become very uh, chippy straight away when they th- there's a fear that it might uh, curb their ability to spend or how they operate their bottom line and all that I mean they're, they're, it's more fear of the unknown and whereas you're quite right the 
the more reasonable approach would be to say, we can work with a regulator. They'll, be, As you said, they'll be football people. Um, we've seen how important the fans are to the game. Mm. We want, we want their, them represented better. We want, we want to make sure we're an actual family rather than just storming ahead without thinking about, about thinking holistically. You can, you can frame it better than saying, oh, no, no, it won't work, it won't work. It, it, it could kill us, could kill us. That's fear speaking as opposed to rationally plotting, yeah, we could work together. This is fine. Yeah. Look, I find it to be very strange just to simply to come out with the takeover, to say it's been confirmed, to say we've got assurances that the Saudi state won't have any control in, in leading this, despite the fact that Mohammed bin Salman is the chairman of the PIF. And then to come out in the interview and say that basically we need to make sure that doesn't happen. It's like, well, he's like, we've got legal assurances. Kept saying that. We've got legal assurances, legal assurances. And it's like, right, okay. But but is there any way of you making sure it doesn't happen? And that's the bit where he didn't seem Well, the word assurances isn't legal anyway. That's, that's, that, that's, that's, that doesn't, that's, a lo- that's an illogical phrase, legal assurances. It's, it's insurance. True. It's a fact. Yeah. It's law. It's legally binding. An assurance sounds like people have been out for candlelit suppers and had a lot of caviar somewhere, doesn't it? Sounds like a promise. We've come to the end of this week's episode of The Game Podcast. I say this week. We'll be back on Thursday reacting to all the Premier League because we've got live football coming up tomorrow and Wednesday night. We've got one game on Thursday night, a small matter of Manchester United against Arsenal, but we will be back with you on Thursday morning looking back at all of that. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast, rate us, leave us a review. Make sure you're subscribed as well to The Times and The Sunday Times. If you sign up today, you will get yourself one month free. Just go online, check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you very soon. Take care. Yeah.